Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here in Stoneville, and then we've got both Eric and Trent on the phone with us from Startville. It's Friday afternoon, and we actually had to wait for Eric to get back to his office because he's been out looking at corn. We recorded a podcast earlier this week. Tom, was that me, you, Don, and Hunter? Was that the rice one that we did? That sounds right. We did that on Monday. Yeah, and we were talking about the storm, and Don had some damage at his house. and So that was Monday, and this is Friday. And in the meantime, we've had additional severe storms different areas around the state. So that's why we asked Eric and Trent to share a little bit of their Friday afternoon with us and talk about what they've seen this week and what we can expect from the damage in the fields that were affected by these storms. So I know here at Stoneville, we had the storm Sunday night time. We got a a big rain here, not much wind damage here. No, I think somebody relayed to me about four inches of rain in the general Stoneville area between Sunday and maybe yesterday. I don't yeah. think it rained any yesterday, but four total inches, which is you know pretty good, especially since we needed some. Don't know that we needed that much. We had another significant event on Wednesday night, I believe it was. I think it rained some Wednesday afternoon, and then we had another storm event during the night on Wednesday. And then I know in East Mississippi, Eric, you and Trent, Feel free to chime in there. I, I know there have been some big ones in that part of the state as well. Yeah, there, since last weekend or about June the 10th, there's been isolated, locally relatively violent storms, mainly starting in the northern part of the state, and then they've gradually progressed over the course of this last week to a little bit further south, more to a Highway 82 latitude and south during the most recent days. But there's been wind, there's been hail numerous places and a number of different things that are causing um, some significant crop injury to those specific locales. I know at my house and then the couple of conversations that I've had with some growers and consultants and certainly not as many as what you two have had but just big hail like bigger hail than I've seen in in quite a while uh, Wednesday night at my house. Fortunately for us, it didn't last, but just a minute. But some other guys had some really, really big hail. Yeah, there was a hailstone that was uh, found somewhere in the Knoxby County area that measured nearly five inches in diameter Wednesday afternoon. You know, we certainly saw trees down and damage to shops and other other things that that took some tremendous damage from the from the hail in in certain locations for sure with that in mind i I know y'all had kind of an impromptu field event there yesterday in noxaby county what were some of the things that were really discussed in relation to this crop injury and and what farmers should expect from those types of situations most of it was just general expectations with corn most all the corn across the state now is going to be approaching tasseling or within a couple of weeks, either prior to tasseling or after tasseling at this point, which means that all the leaves have emerged or close to emerged. And so it's very vulnerable to particularly hail damage. So 
Yield reductions associated with hail damage on corn are directly related to the amount of defoliation that occurs, and, and we just discussed how to assess defoliation. The thing that is hard to understand or hard to comprehend or, or easy to overestimate is is the amount of defoliation. And the, the hail loss instructions and the research that's been done to coordinate the defoliation numbers that they use for crop insurance purposes are based on leaf area that is literally removed from the plant. So leaves that you can imagine are broken, mutilated, ripped and shredded, as long as it's still hanging on the plant and obviously extremely damaged, is not counted as defoliated. So we've seen some extremely heavy damage, some that you know, is probably well over 50% defoliation or 75, approaching 75%. And the plants look absolutely terrible, but there, there is some leaf tissue still out there and it's not going to be a hundred percent defoliation or a hundred percent yield loss. Um, but it will be some heavy yield loss. A lot of fields are going to have yield loss, you know, anywhere from fairly modest numbers to as high as probably 60 or 70% yield loss. There's not a lot that we can do or, or really even a lot of considerations from a management standpoint that are really in play when you're thinking about tasseling or, or later corn. Tom, I know you've been getting a lot of the, the most common question, I guess, because it applies to fungicides. And the other one would probably be top dress nitrogen applications. But there's not a whole lot to justify that, that these types of applications are likely going to provide any positive response despite the our desire to try to help this crop out and try to make the most out of a bad situation. When the fungicide topic comes up, I, I think general conventional wisdom is I need to do something instead of doing nothing. And the bulk of the data sets that have been generated that are either based on a natural hail event somewhere where that occurred and they ran out and they put a fungicide out or they did a simulated hail event, there's not been either an economic or really much of a yield benefit from making that application. And then the, the conversation usually meanders to something like, well, what about secondary organisms that'll jump on that plant? And, and I usually just fall back to, at that point, you're expecting the fungicide to work on some sets of organisms that likely it never was intended to work on. So you're not going to reap any reward from making that application. And that's, I mean, that's the easiest way to just make that statement. There's a lot of biology involved. And, and a Friday afternoon, that, that's just glaze over your eyes when you start thinking about that. Let the weed scientists say this. Eric's quoting 60 to 70% yield reduction in places, even if there was a modest return on that application and you turn 70% loss into 65% loss, that's still a big, big pill to swallow. Well, and you're also trying to make a fungicide application to a stick. So you have no leaf area on that plant and you're flying it at whatever speed they're going to fly that out at, 100 plus miles an hour. So how much of that's actually going to land on the plant and do it any good? From a physics standpoint, that's a difficult math problem. What about the wind, Eric? Corn is relatively sensitive to high wind events when it's growing rapidly and producing a lot of stalk height during its vegetative stages. And that's really from the time it's knee high up until tassel. During that time period, the stalk is developing real quickly. 
and it can be relatively brittle and prone to breakage from high wind events because it doesn't have time to develop the rigidity that it will after it fully develops and reaches tassel stage. So it's during the pre-tassel stages where it's extremely vulnerable to wind and can do what we often refer to as green snap. What happens is the stock will snap off midway or, you know, somewhere between ground level and where the ear forms generally, which basically leaves that plant, renders the plant without an ear, not really worried about the tassel being gone. But if you don't have an ear, it's not going to make a productive plant. And even though it physiologically can produce ears at the lower nodes, they're going to be later and they're not going to pollinate and they're not going to have enough leaves left to feed those ears even if they could effectively pollinate. So when you do have green snap, that is a catastrophic event that, again, if you do snap 50% of the plants or more, you're going to provide a direct yield loss relative to how many stocks are snapped. So it's a trait, I guess, that, that varies a lot between hybrids. So one thing that we do is rate our hybrid trials very closely for this. So if you're sitting out there listening to this program and know that you've got some green snap in your area, I'd love to know about it, I guess, to follow up with with that. And, and particularly if we've got a plot in the area that may have some valuable data, we'd, we'd sure like to be able to collect that data and, and provide that information back to growers so that they do a better job of, of trying to avoid this specific problem next year. And the other little caveat that I would add to that is that the susceptibility of corn to green snap often differs 180 degrees from what we typically think of as as stock lodging and stock quality at harvest time. The difference in in the sensitivity of corn to this specific problem can be polar opposite or completely independent compared to what we're more familiar with in terms of harvest lodging. So you might have a hybrid that's really susceptible historically to stalk lodging at the end of the season and be decently resistant, for, to put it in my terminology, to green snap in a wind event. Yeah, absolutely. What folks normally come to appreciate, all the hybrids are generally screened very closely for for harvest lodging, either in terms of stock lodging or root lodging. That's something that we experience and generally deal with every year. It's not very often in the South that probably one out of 50 farms is probably going to experience green snap. Um, those that do experience it put that high on their priority list for picking hybrids next year, but it, it's not something that's usually on the radar screen in terms of hybrid selection criteria. Um, but it's something that, that I basically take very seriously because I know that the catastrophic issues that it can cause. And we had some serious problems last year, and actually in 2021, we had some, some serious problems as well. So we've experienced some problems the last couple of years, and you know it's not unfamiliar to have some problems, but they're very scattered and isolated wherever we have these, these high wind events that happen to occur the last couple of years, we've had these these in early June. Trent, you've been patiently waiting, and I know you've gotten a lot of calls, too. What are you seeing with our soybean crop right now? Well, some of it, to, to some degree, some of the things that Eric mentioned about corn. Of course, the, the wind damage is not as severe to a 
you know, V4 to, to R3 soybean as it is to a, a mature soybean plant that, that could possibly lodge or, or snap when they're fully mature. But the big thing right now is just the hail damage and defoliation and really the expectations of, you know, what, what kind of yield loss we may incur. What kind of questions are you getting in some of those instances where somebody has encountered a, a field of their soybean that has some pretty significant hail injury? The most obvious question that, that I get is, is a picture and then what, what what do we expect here? And two ways to look at that. One, I mean, there, there are some severe, severe cases where, where we're talking about nothing left but the stem uh, and complete defoliation in some areas. And obviously that's going to be impacted. We also have some that were, you know, I would say anywhere from, from 5 to 50% defoliation and those lighter levels of defoliation will just kind of depend on, you know, the stage that, that they were at. But, you know, the, the one thing that I reminded everybody on the phone this week and, and talking to them in person is that, that when we look at this thing the morning after a storm, it, it's really not necessarily going to be the same thing that we would see if we could just patiently, you know, give it a few days to, to try to grow and then assess it. Because uh, the morning after the storm is obviously going to be the most severe, but if we if we could have some sunshine and just a little bit of good growing weather, we would be able to see if there's any new growth that comes out, and then we'd be able to accurately determine, or in the case of the younger beans, you know, what kind of stand loss we might have. In the case of the older beans, you know, we would be able to see, is it going to kill it at that stage or is it going to be able to, to try to regrow and, and add some new foliage there and, and kind of what to expect. But the, the two big questions, I think, are the yield loss and then if they're, if they're determined to keep what's there and proceed throughout the year, what besides yield loss could we deal with? And the answer to that would be possibly delay in maturity some of these more severely damaged fields may have quite a delay in maturity at the end just from the punch that it took right now and the, and the regrowth it's going to try to do to add new foliage. Trent, expand on the growth stages a little bit. You mentioned V4 to R3 just as a general range, but with soybean being an indeterminate crop or most of our varieties being indeterminate, contrasted heavily with a determinate crop like corn, then naturally we've got a little bit more recovery potential on soybeans, particularly if they're younger. Is would that be accurate? Well, yeah. Like when you when you're talking about like the, the defoliation part of it, if you look at the defoliation part of it, um, heavy defoliation in a younger soybean, younger by meaning something in the vegetative growth stages, you're a lot less susceptible to a, a overall yield loss. Uh, when you have that defoliation event that happens, you know, at that time versus some of our earliest planted stuff that may, may be R3 right now, you're probably going to see some level of yield loss tied to that defoliation event, depending on the level of defoliation. So certainly the younger band can recover and probably not even notice a yield bump, you know, out of it uh, compared to a, a fully reproductive band at this stage. Any other specific questions? Are you getting any of the fungicide questions on that, just an overall plant protection or benefit plant health type of scenario? No, I, I haven't. Um, I haven't gotten anything about fungicides on all the soybeans. Most everything is just what do I expect to see out of this, you know, two weeks from now after the sun hits it. On those younger beans, even one that's already started blooming, where do you expect to see that regrowth? Is it 
new growth coming out from the nodes on the main stem or where would the productive regrowth occur on the plant? I mean, I would expect it to come out on the, on the new nodes on the main stem because it's still trying to grow to your point earlier about indeterminate versus determinate. We, we've got a the vast majority of what we grow here now are indeterminate. They're still vegetatively growing right now, even though they are in reproduction. So we're still adding height nodes to the, to the plant as we do it. I guess it kind of depends on where the damage occurs because sometimes if the damage hits at just the right point, it may split that stem and, and it'll have two main main stems that'll try to develop out of that. So there really is kind of an it depends answer. It just depends on where that hailstone hit it and what kind of what kind of damage it took. But if it's just a straightforward hit where a lot of the defoliation came off but the growing point still there and it's growing, I would expect it to, to just continue to try to add new vegetative material as it goes upward. Any specific questions then in some of those areas where someone's looking at a replant situation? You know, at, at this point, as far as replants go, we're, we we still could replant. I mean, we're here in the middle of June. Uh, obviously, you know, we've talked a lot over the years about, about the power of planting date and, and yield response and soybeans, so we know what we would replant today is going to be much less uh, capable of producing a type end yield compared to what the original planting date was, regardless of the situation. Uh, generally, you know, the, the recommendations to, to follow if a replant is where we are, uh, not necessarily worry too much about, you know, finding a, an advantage in a maturity group. More so, I would choose a good variety that you could get your hands on and probably even stay towards the earlier part of the maturity group crop that could mature a little bit faster in the fall time and get it out before bad weather or wet weather gets here. Eric, what about a parting shot? You got any one last little snippet to add to what you said? One thing we didn't cover, I guess, is wind damage in the absence of wind, the stalks are not broken. Oftentimes we do have corn that's blown over, particularly prior to tassel, but the stalk is not broken. Normally, the plant will try to ride itself pretty hard within, or it tries as well as it can to ride it within three or four days. The larger the plants get or the closer it gets to tasseling or after tasseling, the harder it is for the plants to rewrite themselves, basically, um, and assume a vertical position. And that can cause a lot of problems, too. And I know we've had some fields that, that have had that occur there's nothing we can do from a management point to really help out with that. It does put the plant at a physiologically poor position to intercept light and provide the resources that that ear is demanding. In most cases, I don't think that that's going to affect pollination. So that's not your primary concern. The, the primary concern is, is those plants having the, ability to intercept light and feed those ears as they normally would. So it can cause a yield reduction. It can also obviously cause a lot of harvest difficulty, but there's not really anything that we can do from a management standpoint to um, assist or aid with that, that weird phenomenon. Trent, did we miss anything on soybean? Yeah, the only other thing I guess I'd mention in terms of, of damage to the stems more so than just simple defoliation even though a plant may survive that damage to the stem, you keep in mind that that, that can, like Eric mentioned, cause problems towards harvest time uh, with, with lodging. 
it's a terrible situation and any help that we can provide anybody assisting in this damage, we're certainly glad to offer assistance where we can. We appreciate y'all taking part of your Friday afternoon and jumping on with us on short notice. Seems like the last few years we've had some some of our worst weather has occurred in June, which is a really bad time for our crops given that's usually either the beginning of reproductive growth or right in the middle of it in the case of corn. So I know Eric and Trent are more than willing to help however they can work through some of these situations. Definitely not speaking for them, but I know they're both very, very willing to to lend their expertise where they can. So y'all don't hesitate to call them uh, if you feel like they can help. Appreciate y'all taking time out of your afternoon to talk to us. Yep, thank you. Thanks a lot. We sure appreciate it and be willing to help out any way we can. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.